Hi, everybody. Eve Harrow, Director of Tourism and Community Development for Win Israel Fund. Delighted to be hosting this new one, the newest in our series of webinars that we've been running now, I would say for close to two years. Uh, I'm broadcasting from my home in Efrat in the Judean Hills here in Israel. It's July, it's June, June 19th, 2022, the 20th day of Sivan, 5782. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the Israel Fund, although I know that many of you are, um, we are the organization that really does whatever can be done for the communities in Judea and Samaria and for the people who were expelled from Gaza and around the Gaza envelope. Um, medical centers, a lot of security, parks, playgrounds, mikvaot, whatever is needed, we try and fill in those gaps. And uh, it's been a very exciting couple of weeks for me. Finally, with the airports open and people being able to travel, I've had the opportunity to take some of our donors around who have come to Israel to see what their money has done in the last couple of years. They're thrilled, we're thrilled, and most importantly, the people who are benefiting from their largesse are just so happy to finally meet them and for them to see what they've accomplished. So our webinar tonight is with Arlene Kushner. Arlene is a freelance writer, investigative journalist, and author, has written books on the PLO and on Ethiopian Jews, and done major reports on UNRWA's connection to Hamas. She is co-founder of the Legal Grounds Campaign, which today offers courses to law students regarding Israel's legal rights to this land. Arlene made Aliyah 21 years ago and lives in Jerusalem. Her blog, which focuses on political and security concerns in Israel, can be found at www.arlenefromisrael.info. And it's free. You guys can sign up. And I'm sure that after uh, listening to Arlene for the next few minutes, you are going to want to. So Arlene Kushner, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. I'm so glad we're finally able to have you on one of our webinars. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to be here. All right, so tell us what it is that you do, because when I think of you, and I've known you for a long time, you are this indefatigable warrior. You know, a lot of us, like we get up, there's certain campaigns that we get very involved with. I'm moving in a couple of weeks, I'm going through boxes of all this stuff that I was involved with over the, over the years, Gush Katif and Oslo and all these things that the call to the moment was to try and usually stop something terrible from happening unsuccessfully, um, newspaper clippings and all that. But then I kind of back away. I go to my tour guiding. I do something else. But you are just like right there in the trenches all the time, constantly reporting, constantly keeping people aware of what's happening. So what is it? Well, first of all, what drives you to do this? What drives me is my passion for Israel, plain and simple, and a conviction that uh, we have to be active. Mm-hmm. Simply care, and that's that's my message today. When you boil it down, simply caring is not enough if you're not active. Right. So, what do you do? Tell us what you do. Tell. I I have. A, that's a big question. I have a lot of connections. I do a lot of research. I track the news, which frequently gives me a stomachache. And um, and then I I write. I do my blog, and that is difficult to do because I write and then I edit and I go over it. It goes out and then it goes up on my website as well and on my Facebook page as well. And I respond to anybody who's a serious questioner can respond to my postings and I'm happy to dialogue with people. And that's part of what I do as well. Well, what in particular is the Legal Grounds Campaign of which you- Well, the Legal Grounds Campaign no longer exists as it once did. Jeff Dalby and I did it together. And I will just, on the side, when you talk about going to other things, Jeff and I used to joke regularly that when we got to find this was too much, we would um, breed puppies instead. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Puppies wag their tails and lick your face and they don't cause your aggravation. Mm -hmm. We never got to do that. Right. Uh, all that's left of legal grounds as a separate entity today, and it's something I'm exceedingly proud of, is we offer a course for law students here in Israel. The university law schools tend to tilt left here, and they don't teach the students everything they need to know in terms of our legal rights. And we bring in top-notch lawyers and academics, people like Eugene Kantorovich, right, to teach them. Mm-hmm. So when they walk away and we, we select, we're, we're selective, we select people who are likely to go into 
areas of law for which this is relevant. We're not interested in somebody who's going to be a divorce lawyer or, you know, a bankruptcy right. lawyer. Right, right. Um, and they come and thank us for this information. And we feel this is a major contribution to Israel's future. So I am sure that most of the people who are listening right now care very much about Israel, care very much that Judea and Samaria remains in Israeli hands, that we do what we can in order to even apply Israeli law here, um, and are very often looking for ways to be able to explain that to people, okay, for the, for the, for the information that can make it easy, because we have a tough argument. It doesn't take two minutes. We can't just say, like the other side says, it's the occupation, and then like, oh, well, then Israel's terrible, and let's move on from there. How do you go about doing that? But this, first of all, I use my website. And I hope people will, will go to my website, uh, info. That's important. Mm -hmm. I have an enormous amount of background information. Anything Great. you want to know about um, what's going on, you can find something relevant, especially in, in the legal contest in terms of our rights to the land. Um, and I put information all the time in my postings. When I do my postings, I don't just talk about current. I say, this happened because because of this history. Right. And this is what should have happened, but it never happened. But, you know, and I explain and I get messages from people. I never knew that. And mm -hmm. I encourage people always to share because that, what I'm about is getting it out. People's like, oh, you're doing well. The numbers are going up. I'd like, you know, 100,000 people. Unless a lot of people get it. It's not effective. And I do have some comments about all of this in terms of what can or I think should be done to advance Israel's cause. So please share those. This is the time. Okay. So I have to, I want to start with this. I thought it was so appropriate. The Parsha yesterday talked about the spies who went into the land and all but two of them came back and said, oh, my God, we can't do this. We are like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And because of that, a whole generation had to go by. They were not permitted by God into the land because they were not deemed competent because they did not have the self-confidence. They did not believe in themselves sufficiently to be able to. They could have done it, but they didn't believe in themselves. And I think this is the overriding message for today. The laws are out there. The history is out there. Our lengthy heritage, especially in Judea, Samaria, going back 3,000 years and more in terms of our history in the land, it's there. No matter what the Arabs lie about and what they say, if you take the time to research it and to incorporate it into your understanding, it's there but you have to believe in it. And so you if, you're, if you already mentioned yesterday's portion of the week, Shlach it's known as the tour guides part yeah. because it talks about touring the land. And the interesting thing is, Arlene, that it doesn't say that they were spies. I know it that. As they came, la tour, they came to scout out the land. Yes. It's only after what they did that they are called spies. And I think that that's a tremendous message for all of us because a lot of people come to Israel and they don't see Israel the way you and I see Israel. They go around Israel with people who are trying to undermine what's happening here, not put things in context, show refugee camps, for example, which I'd like to talk to you about in a minute because you've done a lot of work with UNRWA, and don't explain that all the refugee camps were started by Arabs for Arabs in areas that Israel did not control in 1948, and that every Arab who ends up in Israel proper becomes an Israeli citizen. And so things are shown without that kind of context and explanations. And therefore, I know people have said, well, I was in Israel and now I can vouch for the fact that it's a terrible country, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so what you're doing and people come, coming here is the most important thing, but coming here and going around the land with the right glasses on and with the right eyes right. is you're right. super, super important. And I think that yesterday's Parsha showing that there were people, they didn't have enough faith. They were afraid. They saw huge walls around the cities which they interpreted to mean that there was a lot of danger in the land. They didn't understand that behind those walls, civilizations were crumbling and that they would could have come in and they could have made it happen. There's never going to be a right time that's right. to be able to come into the land. And that's a big message that the Bible gives that, as you said, it's still very pertinent to us well over 3000 years later. 
So, I mean, I mentioned the refugee camps. So I'll give you the opening for that because that's some of the work you've been doing already for a long, long time. I, Maybe I, explain I what UNRWA is. UNRWA. Our viewers. UNRWA is a unique organization like none other in the world dedicated to one group of quote unquote refugees. Um, totally illicit. They define refugees different from the way the rest of the refugees in the world are defined, and they sustain refugee status illegitimately. Only and, for the so-called Palestinians. Yes, that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Um, not only do they sustain that identification, it's passed through the generations, which is not done with any other um, group of people, so that we have now grandchildren of so-called refugees who are still called refugees. And their defi definition of refugee is anybody, see, this is the catch, is anybody who doesn't go back to Israel because Israel's where they came from. Now, lots and lots of people have to flee for whatever reason in war and they're resettled and they find new homes and they're not, if they are settled somewhere, they um, are not defined as refugees anymore. But these people are still by owner defined as refugees it's very interesting. The PA, in the PA are so-called refugee camps. And you ask, it's PA. What do you mean refugee? Palestinian Authority. Yeah. Right. We well, left we, in 1993. And the answer, answer is, but these are not Palestinians who belong here with us. They belong in Israel. So they're still refugees, even though they're here. It's all a gimmick. Unfortunately, a lot of the world buys it. And of course, in places like Syria and Lebanon, where there are refugee camps, they are by deliberate design have not been entitled to absorption into those countries. The only one that did that was Jordan. And right. that is, is uh, most of Jordan today is Palestinian. Um, right. But um, they deliberately didn't. And but what happened in Gaza, which is Gaza, which is uh, the most serious part right now, is the outrageous linkage with Hamas. Now, I did this research some years ago, and I was finding then a principal in one of the high schools who was recruiting for Hamas and all that. It's, it, it's hand in hand. And they are radicalizing these kids and bringing them into the Hamas organization. And this is permitted by the world to continue. So who's funding all this? Uh, they do their own funding. This is not funded by the UN. And of course they do, which is typical of all these groups, they cry. But the, the UNRWA is not funded by the UN? No, no, they have their own funding. Uh, nations fund them. The poor suffering refugees, they have no place to go and unless you help them, they're gonna be in trouble and we need schools and we, so forth. And of course in their schools, they, they are virulently anti-Israel. And they teach hatred for Israel in their schools. And this has been allowed by the international community to persist for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And so, do you have a why for that? Do you have a why? Yeah, I, I, I heard your question. The answer, as far as I'm concerned, and it goes with a lot of what's going on that I want to address, is an inherent anti-Israel bias in the world. I have come to face that. It's difficult to face. It's nice to try to find reasons that are rational reasons. I don't think there are rational reasons. When you read the things the EU does, for example, and I want to get to that, funding illegal building in Area C, which Oslo said belongs to Israel, and they justify it. They undermine Israeli law. They undermine Israeli rights. And they have their rationale for why they do it. And none of it cuts it for me other than saying that they are anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. Because the, the tenor of the world is such that it's impossible ultimately to come to any other conclusion. It's not rational. Mm -hmm. And you look at it and you say, we're such a wonderful country and we do so much good and they should be embracing us. And so much benefit comes out when we rush to help people. And they're forever at our throats. And I think it, 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 it's the fate of our lives. I don't know why. 
and we persist. And it doesn't mean we have no friends, but accept the friends with caution. Okay. That's how I feel. And it's because of the long experience with this that I've come to this. So a couple of people sent in uh, questions during the week when we were advertising this webinar. So I'd like to, to read a couple to you if that's okay. Um, and the question from Mark uh, Karoff was, regarding the Legal Grounds campaign, to me, Israel's, or should I say Moshe Dayan's, ceding authority over the Temple Mount to the Waqf and Jordan at the end of the 1967 Six-Day War did grievous damage to its case for sovereignty throughout Israel. Do you agree with that? I think it's an excellent question. I think the Arabs know exactly what they're doing. The Temple Mount was not that important to them. And there's documentation. I have this documentation on my website for the fact that in uh, pre-Israel, the Arabs, the Muslims in the area recognized that the Temple Mount was the site of King Solomon Temple. This was not something that was disputed. They recognized it. Now they deny it vehemently. They understand that to lose our connection to the Temple Mount is a step towards delegitimizing our presence in the land. Um, it starts with that, and they're clever enough to know it, and they're filled with venom, and they're filled with lies when they talk about how we uh, attack Al-Aqsa and, and so forth and so on, um, so that the attempt is to get certainly the Arab world to turn against us and to create a situation in which we're not allowed on Har Habayat on the Mount anymore. That's not going to happen. One of the things I'm seeing and one of the things I'm really excited about is larger numbers of Jews are going up now than ever went before. Part of my theme here is that the Israeli electorate is responding properly now. And, and gets the message. And I'm excited about the possibilities moving forward. 2,600 Jews went up on Yom Yerushalayim onto the Temple Mount. Right. That's the largest number that ever went up in one day, ever. And there are now more organizations. You have Yehuda Glick, you have a number of organizations. There's an organization called Biyadenu, uh, which drawn from, you know, saying it's, it's in our hands. And they're all fighting for the rights. Now the rights, are there and they would delegitimize us and claim they're not there. And one of the things they've done, very important, is when they call for the status quo, which means no prayers by Jews, um, they neglect to mention that they have shifted the status quo in numerous ways. Right. And they can't us to maintain a status quo that's 74 years old uh, because Moshe Dayan, in my opinion, very erroneously and unfortunately made this concession when they've done things like build new mosques, destroy antiquities. Um, they've done a lot of things that change what was the status quo then, and they can't have it both ways, and they're trying to have it both ways. One of my favorite pieces of there's tons of evidence, but one of my favorite piece of, pieces of evidence Back in the 30s, they were doing renovation work on Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was one of the original mosques there. And when they dug down, guess what they found underneath? It was actually underneath the remains of a Byzantine church. Under that was a mikvah. Hmm. So a it does appear that the ritual bath that only Jews use. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it does appear that we were there way before they were before they we were there before there was an Islam. Mm -hmm. yeah. But as you said, people are voting with their feet. They're making the moves. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm very pleased about that. Mm -hmm. And I'm pleased in a lot of other ways. May I talk a little bit about it's a very about difficult time because from today to tomorrow to the next day, we don't know what's going to happen with this government. And the news changes every 30 seconds, and it's hard to say anything decisive. But I want to make a few comments that I think are exceedingly important. Please. I am adamantly opposed to the presence of Rom in the government. I the think, Arab party. Yes, as a party. Okay. This, this is, Rom is not an independent party. It's the political arm of the um, Islamic movement in Israel, Southern Branch. And they are accountable to the Islamic movement. And the Islamic movement came out of uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. And they are very, whatever 
the head of Rome, um, Mansur Abbas, says now in the Knesset, and people think he's so cute and so nice and so friendly, he answers to them. And they are virulently anti-Zionist, and I am opposed, if we are going to be a Zionist state and be committed to it, to allowing entry of a group like this. And what I want to do is read, because I think it's important. This is the chart, of, a section of the charter of the Islamic movement, the, or, the movement which Ram represents. The state of Israel was born of the racist occupying Zionist project. Iniquitous Western and British imperialism and the debasement and feebleness of the Arab, Arab and Islamic nations. We do not absolve ourselves. The Palestinian people of our responsibility and our failure to confront this project. Their ultimate goal is to take down the Zionist state. Wow. And the we, way we they know. Did, yeah, but I have to say it and people have to hear it because he come, he handles himself very cleverly. And I and, and Lapid said, oh, he's a very smart man. He's my friend. That's nice. He's his friend. He handles himself well, and he's moderate in his speech, but there's an agenda behind this. And the way this agenda will work is first, they just said they want improvement for the Arab population, and this is a good thing. They needed whatever. And then they say, well, we think we should have equal rights. And this is the key to destroying Israel. We have to, what we have to believe in is our right to have Israel as a Jewish state. Well, let me ask you something. When they say they want to have equal rights, Arab citizens of Israel have the same rights that you and I do. They don't have the same responsibilities. Not national rights. Ah, So that's what I want. Okay, and that's what they're looking for. Absolutely. So that that was the clarification I wanted to hear. They have the same rights. Pension, ability to to pen, petition courts, healthcare, education, whatever, whatever. They but have, they don't have to serve in the army. They, they actually don't have, to serve have the army obligations. They don't have national rights here. Meaning as, what? What does that mean, it, national? Rights? It means well. What do you mean? Jews have a right of return. Arabs should have a right of return too, because we're equal. And meaning that any that any Arab who wants to move to Israel should be allowed to. If they have a relationship, you know, same thing. Or what do you mean there's a Jewish star on the flag? That's offensive to us. Take down that flag. And I don't like Hatikva. Hatikva talks about the Jewish the national star. An- the national yeah. anthem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole series of things where they start to make it parv and not Jewish anymore. And the ultimate goal, once that's down and it's an, uh, a nation state of all its citizens, Israel as a Jewish state is destroyed. And that's the goal. That's the goal. And there has to be awareness of this and there has to be care about this. Um, and what I, I wanted to make another point here because I found it so interesting. You think there'll be compromise and you give the Arabs a certain amount. They'll say, oh, good, things are better now, et cetera. But they always want more. And there's never a compromise. And I took this from um, Jamal Zahalka. He's a former MK. You're laughing. You know who he is. I know who he is because he was the pharmacist for many years at the clinic at which my husband worked. Oh, he was really? the nicest guy. Okay, nicest well, you'll hear what it was. And then guy. he moved into the Knesset. It was like Jekyll and Hyde. He just turned yeah. into this so raving So it was always hater. there, you see. It was always there. I guess so, which is frightening, okay. Arlene, because there's so many Arabs in Israel, and I want to feel like they're fine, that they, they may not love me, but we're citizens in the same country. And when well, something like that happens, I wonder... Did they always dislike me and we're just pretending? And when they have an opportunity, they'll come out. It's a terrible way to feel. Well, and I, I, feel, and I don't want to believe I, it. I, I feel that way right now. I feel mm-hmm. that way right now because of the research I've done. And I want to make it very, very clear on the record. Um, I think there are good Arab Israelis. I think some are loyal. And I'm not leveling my criticism against all Arabs who are Israeli citizens. But... There is a portion, and it's a significant portion at this point, of Israeli Arabs who have been radicalized over time. Uh, I can quote from uh, Ephraim Kersh, who's uh, a top-notch scholar, academic and stuff. 
He says the main danger to Israel's continued success or even existence over the long run is posed by Arab citizens of Israel. They are growing more nationalized, more radicalized, and more Islamicized. Hamas well, we've seen we've seen that also with some That's of what right. happened in Lourdes and in Ramla and some of the areas right. the cities and the and we can't turn our backs on that. And something that I read last year impressed me very much. Uh, there's another academic, um, Rafi Israeli, now yes. uh, professor emeritus from Hebrew University. He wrote a book on this, and he said we assumed a lot of the Arabs were with us. But they practice, uh, this is a very interesting word, quietude, which means things are good for us here. They're a lot better for us here than they would be if we were in Jordan or Syria or Absolutely. anywhere else. So we don't want to rock the boat. And we're not going to do anything radical. We're not going to attack anybody. But in their hearts, they didn't really identify as Israeli. They just kept quiet. And then when along comes Hamas, and Hamas infiltrates a lot these days and says, if you're a loyal Arab, you have to be true to your people. And that means not being a loyal Israeli. Some buy it, some don't. And we have to know it's there and we have to be honest about it because we want to have a strong Jewish state. So let me ask you something. It's a little off topic, but it just occurs to me. That there's a lot of Muslims, not necessarily from here, but Muslims who've moved to Europe, to France, to Belgium, to other countries. Would you think that they, it's going to be the same way there, that oh, they've yeah. gone into these countries, but they're not really French? You know, they're just kind of using the country until they yes, can take over. Yes, In other words, that Israel is kind of the, you know, the first one, but definitely not the last as, as a mode of, we want to call it jihad or, yes. you know, whatever. Yes and no. Okay. The difference is, and this is a significant difference, a lot of the hostility among the Muslims here is religiously based. And you'll hear Moti Kadar, and who's a top-notch right. academic on this and others talking about it, um, because they believe Jews have no right to this land because it's a Muslim walk. It's mm -hmm. a trust for the Muslims because Muslims once controlled it. Once controlled, right. it's offensive to them to have Jews in charge of this land. And that's part of what's fueling them. That's not true in France necessarily. So oh, I think it is true in Spain. In Spain, I think yes. the Iberian yes. Peninsula, Spain, which was yes. once Muslim, falls under Europe. The goal right. is not necessarily that religious fervor, but there is, and we see it, there is a change in policies across Europe because of the large... Muslim population and a radicalization and a movement left of policies because of the influence. And no, they're not integrating and becoming French citizens or Dutch citizens. They are holding on to their values. It's funny because when Jews end up in different countries, which very often we do since we get thrown out from place to place, we end up really trying to integrate and becoming the most patriotic Americans. Jewish, and Jewish law tells us to do this. Right. You're supposed to be loyal to the country. that. Right. You we are. even say a prayer for the king or for the prime minister, yeah. or for the president. Yeah. But the Muslims wish them well. Same perspective on that. So I'm not sure, Arlene, and I'm glad that we're talking about it, that Christians and Jews understand that. We just kind of assume that. Because the Christians, you know, they believe in Jesus and Jews don't. We have the monotheism. No, I'm not sure they do either, and, which is why it's important to say it. Absolutely. But there's some different, there's some very deep cultural differences as well. Not just that we pray to different gods or the same God, but call him different things, you know, depending on how you want to explain that. It, there's some really, really deep-seated differences. Some very deep cultural differences. Mm -hmm. And the inability, as I see it, to compromise this part is one of them. I think when Moshe Doyen, I, th I think he made a big mistake, but I think when he went up there, um, he expected some kind of compromise when he said to the walk, we'll share it and it'll be not. And they said, aha, he gave us the keys, we'll fix him. And they don't share. That's not what they want. They could allow a synagogue on the Temple Mount, there's lots right. of room. They don't, they, they wouldn't hear of it. There'll, there'll be riots galore right. if we attended such a thing, which I think we should have, but we should have mm -hmm. had a whole. Well, there was for a while. But, but no, the uh, Diane made it was off pretty fast. Yeah. 
push that aside right away. Um, They don't, they want to control the situation. And unless we realize that that's part of the cultural mentality, Mm -hmm. um, people who come from a Western mentality often don't understand what's going on. So I don't know if you can answer this question because I certainly can't is why the Israeli government doesn't understand what you're saying. I mean, it's fairly simple. I, well, this is part of what I see. I call it galoot mentality. Still, even with yeah. oh, still because we're past the generations of prime ministers care. who were born always, in Europe. We're always jumping to please the world. We're always mm-hmm. worried about what the world says. And I, I pulled another quote, which made me absolutely bananas. Um, I don't know. I think it's a combination of worried about what the world says, but also there's a realpolitik here and there is a global village. We get arms from different countries. We have trade agreements with different countries. You know, there, there's a sense of I we have to do what we want. There's, some, there's some, some degree of increased respect for the country that respects itself. Mm-hmm. And when we are constantly appeasing... They see us, even the West, sees us as weak and willing to make concessions, and they don't respect us the same. Because obviously these things don't matter to us enough that we stand on it. And that's what I'm about, saying we have to stand on these things. Yeah. Okay? And one of the things that's upsetting me now, and I I, want to talk about two things connected. Um, Yeah, yeah, Yair Lapid, who's a two-state man to begin with, which is a foreign right. minister and possibly yes. next prime minister if the rotation agreement happens. Yes. Okay. He has a new communi- communications advisor by the name of Mia Bengal. Mm-hmm. And she believes that we must recognize the Nakba. Now, the Nakba is what the Arabs call um, Israeli independence. They celebrate the Nakba on Israeli independence. Catastrophe. catastrophe. It was a catastrophe because we won the war. Well, this is 74 years ago. And and my response to this is, we're not allowed to win a war. Other people win wars and it goes away, the crisis. They are nurturing this. And for an Israeli to think we need to honor and recognize this is a leftist, progressive, unfortunate position that can only weaken our position like hey we won and those arabs who opted not to leave and most of them left voluntarily or at the instruction of their leaders most of them were not driven out i can't say none were but most not they left and they're crushed because when they their um, leaders told them to leave. They said, it'll be a very short time. And then you can come back because we're going to beat them like crazy and you can come back and they can never come back. So 74 years later, they're still mourning this loss, but we should not be mourning it. And we should not show this great sense that we say, Hey, we won the war. That's how it is. And there's a different standard for Israel than from the rest of the world. That's what I say when I say, Things are treated differently. And when an Israeli does this, an Israeli who works for a minister of Israel. A foreign minister. Yes. Just any minister. Any minister. It's very disturbing to me. And it's, the possible future prime minister. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this is, in my opinion, very, very far removed from what we need and what we should have now. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about the good stuff. Oh, uh, first, I have to talk because this is so key, is Area C and the way in which the Arabs are usurping Area C. The area of Judea and Samaria, the 60% of Judea and Samaria that Israel retained under the Oslo Accords, where the Jewish communities are, and maybe 100,000 Arab communities, and the Palestinian Authority is not supposed to have any rights here whatsoever, but... But they build their Ill- see, and this is the thing: they build there illegally all the time, and we have not been dynamic in taking down the illegal settlements. These illegal settlements are funded and promoted by the EU, and that's the point here: is they don't respect Israeli rights and Israeli rights under Oslo. 
But they will also push it as far as they can. And as long as that's the Israeli right. government doesn't hold them to it, and we're talking my, about quite a few governments. It's been we, going on for 15 to we, 20 years yes, already. We need a strong right-wing Israeli. That's my entire point. Mm-hmm. We have a let well, the Europeans, and we trade with them, and they won't like it. I'm sorry. We have a right to this. We could take them down. We've got, Now, I hope everybody's sitting down. I know these figures, but I... Recheck them today. There's 75,000 illegal Arab buildings in Area C. 75,000? Yes. Wow. And seven new ones go up every day. Now, wow. we take down some of them, but we always take down fewer than the seven new ones that are built. So there's a net gain over time. It's not even the buildings. And I can tell you because I live out here, it's roads. It's quarries oh, that are dug out. It's, it's you're right. It's taking over it's the land in every way. It's infrastructure and it's establishment of agriculture. Yes, they have some right. cheap gray uh, grazing and they put up some olive trees. Like, ah, it's our land now. Mm-hmm. All three things, and they're trying to usurp it. And uh, one of the issues right now that's a big issue is, which has come up for twenty years, Area E one. Now, E1 is between Malay Adumim, which is to the east of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, and the idea was to establish it so it would be... Corridor. Mm -hmm. And the uh, Arabs are furious because it breaks their contiguity for the Arab-Palestinian state, except as I understand that we've offered them a road through that they have contiguity they can get from one part to the other. They don't want us to have this. All of a sudden, which is very good news as far as I'm concerned, except I don't have confidence it'll be sustained, is um, that uh, it's back on the books again. It's back under consideration. after a long period of not being under consideration. Uh, What concerns me very much right now is Biden's coming and the position of that uh, government they you are think that hard. the Israeli government, he's going to ask for some kind of concession from the Israeli he's government? What do you think is going to happen? Oh, but what I, uh, I found fascinating is that um, they say, again, a quote, um, that um, Blinken says this a lot. They think there should be an equal measure of freedom and security and prosperity for the two groups. I would be thrilled with that, by the way, because I look out my window and I see mansions from the Palestinian Authority. I go out in my leased car and their land cruisers drive by. Okay, so, yeah, maybe. And I drive and I see Jews living in caravans in mobile homes for the last 20 years with six children across the street from beautiful homes that the Palestinian Arabs have built. So, yeah, maybe we should call for some. Okay, but this is not my point. My point is something different. If there is a lack of equity in terms of freedom, it's because of the PA. It's not because of us. Everything is put on us, that we have to make concessions and we have to say, sorry, if the the PA is not a democracy, there's no human rights. They can't open their mouths. They'll be in jail if they say the wrong thing. This isn't on us. This is on the PA. So to say there should be freedom well, who's who's stopping them? And in terms of prosperity, the corruption in the PA and the mm-hmm. amount of money they spend on the salaries for the terrorists who are in jail, um, mm-hmm. they spent all that on developing the economy of the area. It would be different as well. Mm-hmm. And it has to be, they are always cutting the PA and the Arabs in general slack and putting it on us. And it's up to us to say, sorry, we ain't buying it. So many of our listeners, if not most, are from the United States and they've got midterm elections coming up in November. And there is a lot of concern, especially for the Jews and the Christians who care so much about Israel, that this current administration is going to roll back some of the things that the former administration did, maybe even move the embassy back out of Jerusalem. What's what's your feeling on that? I don't know that they're going to do that, but they do. They're weakening or trying to weaken our grip on Eastern Jerusalem. And mm-hmm. by the way, I never call it East Jerusalem because East Jerusalem implies a separate entity. Eastern Jerusalem is just part of unified right. Jerusalem. It's one city 
are capital unified. And people need to understand, and I know a lot of people do not, that Eastern Jerusalem tends to be Arab because Jordan made it Judenrein in the 19 years that they controlled it. Right. After the 48 war, when Jordan captured the eastern part of Jerusalem, every single Jew was banished from there. And Jordan didn't honor their agreement to allow us to come to the holy sites that were in eastern Jerusalem. We were blocked completely. Uh, tombstones from the graves were used for building roads and for latrines and right. synagogues were destroyed. Horrendous stuff. So it became all Arab. So now they say, oh, it's Arab. We have a right to, no, it's not Arab. Because mm -hmm. traditionally, that was a place that was very Jewish. Well, what I say to people also is, why, why are we punished for doing the right thing? When we lose a war, we're ethnically cleansed from those areas. And then everyone says, oh, look, there's no Jews. When we win, when we liberate the areas back, we don't do the same thing. No, we don't. The Arabs are there and Mas, And then we're told that now it's Arab and we have to leave. And it's just, it's really, it's punishing us for doing the moral thing, I believe. Not just the moral thing, but the right thing for mm -hmm. a strong Israel. Right. And what I'm advocating most of all right now is that we need a government that would be strong for Israel. And what I'm seeing, and maybe uh, we have time yet. Um, a few minutes, yeah. Yeah, that um, what I'm eager for is to see development of the electorate in the way it's going. The current government has moved the electorate to the right. And polls now show that if there were an election now, Likud would have somewhere like um, six or seven more mandates than they do now. And the uh, religious Zionists would go up uh, several mandates. So mm -hmm. they'd be 10 right. or 11 mandates now. The electorate is saying in the polls, we've had it, we're moving right. And that's a very exciting thing to me. Well, I, I think I think it's because of a lot of bad things that have happened. You know, in, most, country, in most countries, you have the younger generation is more liberal than the older generation. And here in Israel, you have the, dif the difference is that this young generation, I mean, if you're 20 years old right now, you grew up after Oslo, you grew up in the shadow of bus bombings and terrorism. And now you have internal Israeli Arab terrorism. And there's a sense of we left Gaza already 16, 17 years ago. It's nearly 17 years. So their whole lives have been in a situation where Hamas controlled an area that was once home to hothouses and flowers and where Jews lived and thrived. Um, so there's a, a rational sense of what is going on here. And, and we, we have to make sure that this stops. But you're right. The current government doesn't reflect that. No, the current government, we need a government that does reflect that. Mm -hmm. And I'm seeing even such things as um, in Chomesh, which is theoretically illegal, but there are big questions about that. Well, Chomesh is one of the communities that was destroyed 17 years ago in the northern Shamron. But there's the yeshiva. And the Jews, and the Jews are trying to get back years. there. Yeah. Um, uh, there have been several, the sovereignty movement did it most recently, but there have been several large, and on and, and one occasion, at least like a thousand people who went to support these yeshiva students in spite of the fact that there's an army presence there and they're not supposed to be there. They're saying, we are coming out. They are demonstrating with their feet and their physical presence, the fact that they're tired of this and they want to move on to something better. And that to me, is is the most exciting thing of what's happening um and i want to see more of that and i feel here in israel it's most important we have to the government will move the way they read the electorate is now if netanyahu comes into power i am not giving him a pass on all the stuff because like this building in area c was going on under him too it's not just in the last year that it all happened but he takes the, sees which the way the wind is blowing. Mm -hmm. And he knows right now that it's to the right. And he will move to the right in his stance um, because he knows this is where his votes will come from and what the electorate wants. And I want to mention one other thing, which I'm excited about. Daniela Weiss, who's a real... Oh, yeah. Activist, okay. She started a group, Nahala, 
I had heard about it before, but I heard it about again a week ago. They are planning on the spot, and I know they will come down, and I'm sure she knows it, but it's, it's a gesture to put up somewhere between 15 and 20 outposts all at once, all over Judea and Samaria when Biden comes. Mm-hmm. And they are out there because I know people involved searching out the areas are going to be very careful that it should be in legal areas, not on Palestinian mm-hmm. land, on state land and so forth. They're they're scouting it out now and deciding where these. So the fact that they're going to do it is public knowledge. Where these are going to be is not public knowledge. And the, the reason for doing this is to show that we have a right to the land and we're not staying quiet anymore. Mm-hmm. And it will be big PR and so forth and so on. I'm excited about this, not because I think the government is going to allow them all to stay. I'm not that naive, but it's a statement that people and the fact that I spoke to people who are who went out one day and they're helping to decide, oh, this looks like a good place because it's flat. People are involved. They're not that much. My point, people are not passive anymore. And the last pitch since time is limited. Mm-hmm. The last pitch is most of um, the listeners are. American. It's much harder in America, but I think there's a role to play, a very important role for people who love Israel and really care in terms of you can't go put up an outpost on the land where you can speak out. You can make sure you write letters to the editor, that you do talkbacks on um, the Internet that you write to your Congress people and say, I don't like what Biden is doing. This is wrong. You have to become a force, a dynamic force in support of the right of Israel to land and to sovereignty. And I'm going to add to that that you need to come to Israel and see things oh, for of yourselves course. and I load yourself I up. Yeah, because that is really the most important thing is to see yes. for yourself. And to that end, we have a One Israel Fund day trip. We haven't had a trip in now over two years. On the 4th of July, we're going to be going up to Itamar. We're going to be spending the entire day in Itamar, seeing what's been going on up there all the way near Shrem. We've been very busy there in the last two years, and the people there have not rested. There's a lot going on. And then I'm also planning for the end of August, two wine trips. We normally just have one, one in the Shomron, one in Yehuda. Uh, also to show people what we've done and also to, you know, it's the, that's that season um, and to see what the vintners are doing and how we're also getting the land, not just by the homes, but also by the by the cremain, by the vineyards and by the planting that we're doing, by the ranches that we're putting out there now, which is another belt of security and of also possessing the land. That's become a very important part of what Win Israel Fund does to help the ranchers, where very few people can make a very big difference. That's right. That's become a premier, right. you know, plank of what we're doing here to really do what we can with not a lot of resources to really maximize them. And I just want to encourage everybody to come. And if you haven't been here for a while, you need to really come and see for yourselves. There's nothing like it. Okay. Then to speak out and tell people. And then to speak out. To it's use not enough to see and say, oh, oh, this is great. No, no, no. You got to use that information. People need to hear it. And it takes energy to keep fighting the fight. Mm -hmm. But we keep fighting it. And I also want to add that if you're sending your kids here for a year, to insist to the school that they send your kids on trips. It's astonishing to me how many of the kids here are in seminaries in Yeshivot. And they don't really go where they need to go. They don't go into the biblical heartland. They don't see what they need to see. And these kids then aren't able to connect to these places at a time where they're very open to new experiences and could definitely be doing that. So that's an important thing is to, before you enroll your kid, to insist to the school, hey, listen, what's going to be next year and what are they going to see? Are they going to be able to connect to Shiloh and Mount Guzim and Hebron and all these places? It's, it's very, very important. I don't think enough is done with that from, from my experience, from what I see okay. and the kids that I host. So, okay, Arlene, any last, uh, any last sentences or words of encouragement or... Words of encouragement. No, no. Uh, I'm horrified by a lot that's going on. Uh, I hope our government will go in a good direction very soon. Please, God. I hope that the midterm elections in November in the U.S. will affect the beginning of a change there as well. And the important thing is that people are with us. First, our own people here. 
uh, should stand up and be active and then people in America and elsewhere, not only to come here, but stand up and be active and let the elected officials there know that you support us and you're with us and it matters. Okay, and it's and good for the, rest of the, for the free world. If it's good for Israel, it's good for the free world. That's it's not doing Israel true. a favor. Absolutely true. Um, yeah. If there are questions after this, I'm available through my website, or if you want to sign on for my postings, through my postings. Okay. Anyone who has a serious question, I am happy to dialogue with. Okay, well, apparently there was a problem with Zoom and people who wanted to connect weren't able to, but this oh. is going to be sent out within the next 24 hours or so. So people will be able to hear you, Arlene, and be in touch you with you. You mean that were there some people on or no? There were, yes, yes, there were, but not not nearly as many as tried to get on. And there was some technical issue with Zoom, but they will be seeing this even if it's recorded, and they will be in touch with you and uh, sign up. For I, I'm happy to hear from you. Yes, I know you are. Everything you're doing is to teach other people. That's you know it. all this already. So um, right, you're doing it for others, and I want to thank you. I know how much time that you spend doing this uh, and how important it is to you to get the truth out. So okay. I appreciate it. And I know that others thank do. You, and well. I appreciate everything, everything you do. Thank you, Arlene. And thanks person. to Shauna for being behind the scenes here at One Israel Fund and to One Israel Fund for persistently getting out there, running these webinars. We've got virtual tours going on. We've got, uh, you know, everything that we can do. We do, and uh, the people in the office who aren't here, as I'm here, and Mark Provisor, who works are all our phenomenal security. Um, but the girls in the office, and I know like Cyril, who's always there for me every time I need something. And I appreciate that very much. And Scott and Jamie and everybody else. So thank you. And thank you to all the viewers, whether you're listening to this live or not. And uh, we will hopefully be back next month and take care of everybody and make your plans to come here. That's the most important thing of all. So take care, everyone. Eve Harrow, Director of Tourism and Community Development for Winners of Fund. Goodbye for now. Remember always, said President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, that you and I especially are descended from immigrants and revolutionists. We look for a younger generation that is going to be more American than we are. Now, I don't know that I could say I'm more American than FDR, but I can say that I'm a descendant of immigrants and I've got more than a little bit of the revolutionist in me because I'm Rav Mike Foyer and this is The Jewish Story. Join Rav Mike Foyer for the best Jewish history podcast, The Jewish Story, on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.